We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. But sometimes, sometimes the season that you're in requires some digging. Sometimes God doesn't remove every obstacle uh, in his own way. Sometimes he involves us. See, I found that people love a sense of control, but they don't like a sense of contribution. So, so, so we like to believe that we are in control of our situation, uh, but we don't like to believe that there, there is something for us to do within a situation that feels out of control. And so in 2 Kings chapter 3, we find uh, the king of Israel, uh, Jehoram, and uh, he's the son of one of the most evil kings in all of Israel's history, Ahab, and his evil wife, Jezebel. Um, if, you're in, if, you've, if you're new to the church and somebody calls you a Jezebel, that is not a compliment. Um, <laughs> that's what people call ladies that are not nice uh, in the church. Um, <laughs> Because Jezebel, even 3,000 years later, has still got a reputation. Uh, Jezebel and King Ahab, some of the most evil kings ever. And their son uh, continues a little bit in, in, in his rebellion against God. But, but we find that, that early on in their son's reign, he's kind of trying to do what's right. And that's what we see in 2 Kings chapter 3. Uh, so the king Jehoram went out of Samaria. That's his, that's his uh, capital. At that time, and mustered all of Israel. Then he went to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So you have to remember that the kingdom of Israel and Judah had been split at this time. There's a northern kingdom called Israel. There's a southern kingdom called Judah. It gets a little confusing. Uh, but they each have a separate king right now. Uh, you have Jehoram up north and you have Jehoshaphat in the south. And so the king of Israel goes to Jehoshaphat of Judah saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he says, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And uh, the king of Israel answered and, and said, by way of the wilderness of Edom. And so I, I, I know that we are far removed from the Middle East, especially ancient Middle East. So I have a little map just, just to show you if they put that up there on the screen. Uh, when, when, when the king of Israel says we're going to go by way of the wilderness of Edom, this is what he means. So those red lines, those red arrows, that is the way that they would have taken. Um, the king of Moab, you can see the kingdom of Moab right there. It's in purple. Uh, basically, the kingdom of Moab was supposed to be paying tribute to the kingdom of Israel. You see kingdom of Israel up top there, up north. And the kingdom of Moab decided uh, that they didn't want to pay tribute to them and taxes to them anymore. And they were going to rebel. They had grown to the level that they felt like they could fight off the Israelites on their own. And so they said, forget it. We're not paying our taxes. They threw a little tea party. And uh, they said, we're not going to do that. And so the kingdom of Israel, the blue arrows there would be the expected route. Right? If, you're in, if you're in Moab and you know the kingdom of Israel is pretty ticked off at you and they're going to be attacking you at any given moment, you would expect them to come from the north. And that would also make sense because the capital of Moab is right there near the border um, of Israel. But the, kingdom, uh, the king of Israel talks to the king of Judah down south and he says, I'm recruiting you and the king of Edom and we're going to go down through the desert and come up the back door of Moab where they're not expecting us. We're going to catch them 
off guard. We're going to catch them by surprise. It's a surprise attack. We're, it's, a, it's, 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 it's the long way. It's the difficult way. But if we make it through the desert, the, the king of Moab is not going to be expecting us. He's going to be up in his capital. And we're going to start taking the villages where he's taken all of his soldiers out of those villages. And we're going to just, just go in and ju- it, it, it'll be an easy fight. Right? We, got, we, we have this plan. And, and, and the king of Israel is probably right. This ought to be a relatively easy fight, especially since he's gathered uh, the king, uh, brokered this, this, this little alliance with Judah and Edom. And so Israel uh, brokers this deal. And in verse 9, the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout. We should have the scripture there. Uh, they marched on that roundabout you guys have verse nine there we go on that roundabout route so they marched on that roundabout route for seven days and there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed with them and the king of israel said alas exclamation point that's 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 kind of king james version Uh, i like the niv version he says what He's got this plan, right? And he's working the plan. And, 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 and he's moving forward. He's brokered a deal where he's brought this alliance together. He's got this sneak attack. He's, he's, he's motivated the armies, right? He's, he, he's given them this, the, 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 the hero speech. You know, uh, what we do in time will echo down through eternity. And, and uh, he's ready, gladiator. I mean, they're, 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 they're ready for victory, and they're right on the edge of Moab. They've made the roundabout track, the seven-day journey, all to find out that they forgot the water boy. Here's some H2, quality H2O. They, they left out. They, they forgot water. So the canteens are empty. And the guys are weary and weak, and the army is faint because they don't have... have I, I, I almost have to laugh at this guy because it's like, man, like you thought of the big stuff and you forgot about the little stuff. Like you, you, you had this great plan, and you worked this great plan, and you dealt with these, these other kings, and you got them on your side to fight a battle that's not even theirs, they're not going to get taxes uh, paid from this. I mean, somehow he convinced these guys to go with him, get your armies, come on, let's take out Moab, and they do it. I mean, this Jehoram's obviously a great leader. He's obviously got some really great visionary skills. Uh, He'd probably make a great salesman. He's ready. He's ready to get people on board, and he has, and he's right on the edge of victory, all to find out that we forgot water? (laughs) What? Like the shock in his voice is just just evident. I mean, you can see him up there on on, on his horse, and and, and his assistant says, Sir, our guys are literally dying of thirst. Because you, you can go a long time like without food, right? You can go over 40 days without food. I think you can only go like three days without water. Your body is mostly made up of the stuff. It's kind of important. It's one of the most elemental things to your body is water. I mean, water and air. Like, you got to have them frequently. And so, and so the guy says, sir, we're all out of water. We, we, we don't have any water left. And, and the king says, what? 
And look at, look at his response. This really isn't too different from us. <laughs> what? The Lord has called these three things together in order to deliver them into the hand of Moab. I mean, this is, this is, this is classic humanity. Make really dumb life choices and then blame God for the results. <laughs> Lord, why? you must not like me very much. Why am I always in this situation? Well, you forgot water, right? God didn't pack your lunch. God wasn't in charge of packing your lunch there, king of Israel. Why is it God's fault? I don't know. But for some reason, whenever things work out well, we kind of tend to congratulate ourselves like we were pretty smart and all that. But whenever things start, start going downhill, it's like, God, why are you doing this to me? You don't like me, do you? And he says, what, the Lord has called these three kings together just to kill us. Thanks a lot, God. And God's like, yeah, um, I didn't forget the water there, genius. Like, like if you're going to make it through the desert, you might want to you might want to take a canteen with you. You know, you might want to remember the water boy. You might want to think about this. It's just I mean, just a suggestion. But you want to make a seven day trip through the wilderness. I mean, you, you remembered the armor, you remembered the swords, you remembered the shields, you remembered the spears, you remembered the motivational speech, you got the horses and the cattle, and you're all set to go, and, oh, we don't have any gas. We're, we're out. We don't have any water. And, and, and the king of Israel, his, his, his first reaction is, we're dead. We're toast. Because if we try to attack Moab, which we're going to do. I mean, we're right here on the edge of Moab, and we're about to go in there, and I know that, that we might look like we're ready. <laughs> we might have the sword and the shield and the battle cry. We might, we might have the flags flying high, and we might look like, like a powerful army, but we're missing an elemental ingredient. And that's where I really don't think we can be too harsh on the king of Israel because, I mean, how many of us are really good at the big things and really pretty bad at the little things? How many of us are, are focused on the big things of life, are focused on the big achievements, are focused on the, the, the monumental moments? But it's like the, the bare necessities of water. It's like, it's like we look like we have a family, but really we're missing the key component of love Really, 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 we look like we have an education, but, 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 but really, we're just, we're just, we're, we're, we're using coffee to stay alive, you know? Like, we're, we're not even remembering or retaining anything that we're learning. And we look like we have a degree, but we don't have the, 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 the knowledge that ought to have come with the degree. Many times, we, we look like we're ready for the next level. We look like on the outside, we look like things are set and we're ready to charge the hill, but, but there's a... There's a, there's a serious lack of water. And so, and so here he is. He says, God's let us down again. <laughs> and uh, Jehoshaphat, though, says, wait a minute, hold up. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Maybe instead of blaming God, we can just ask God what he's doing. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, yeah, actually, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, Elisha used to be a servant of Elijah. And Shaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. Or uh, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom um, all went down to Elisha. 
And when Elisha said to the king of Israel, he wasn't exactly in a good mood. He hadn't had his coffee yet this morning. He said, what have I to do with you? Why don't you go to the prophets of your mom and dad? Why don't you go ask them? It, it, it's, I, I, it sounds harsh, but the truth is that, that oftentimes uh, God wants us to seek him not just out of desperation, not just when we get into trouble, not just when we're at our wit's end. He, prayer shouldn't be our last resort. He said, he said, why don't you go to the prophets of your, of your parents because that's who you've been listening to to get you into this situation. And so he's like, why are you coming to God when you've been listening to this other God and this other God has got you into the Why don't you go to the God that got you into the problem that you're in and see if he can get you out? But we don't do that because we, we know Baal, the prophet of his parents, you know, couldn't do much to get him out of this. And so the king of Israel... Uh, responds, he says, well, no, I'm not going to go to those prophets because the Lord has called these three kings together. And then he restates what he said before, I guess, in order to deliver us into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor even see you. In other words, there is somebody here who's been serving God. So I'll talk to him. But now bring me a musician, right? So then it happened when the musician played, when, when, when they rolled in the Hammond B, and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> he got the C minor to the B minor, back to the C minor. Uh, when, whenever the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, and this is the verse that I want to stick with for the next few weeks. He says, thus says the Lord. First of all, you need... In whatever situation you're in, you need a thus says the Lord moment in your life. Uh, regardless of who you've been following, like the king of Israel, even though he had been following other gods and following his own, his own way and doing his own thing, yet when he got in trouble, what, what, what he needed was to hear from God. And so this is what Elisha says, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full. In other words, just dig. In other words, you need to start digging. There are some seasons in your life and mine, even as a church corporately, where the, the, the place that we're in requires some preparation. He says, he says this is what I want you to do. You, you, you don't have control of the situation, but you can contribute to the situation. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to start digging to make this valley full of ditches for thus says the lord you shall not see wind nor shall you see rain yet this valley shall be filled with water so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink and so basically for the next few weeks i want to talk about this command by god to start digging i want to talk about this command by god to start preparing Really, that's what, that's what they're doing. He says, I want you to dig ditches in the middle of your valley so that when this water comes that I'm going to send, when this water comes that I'm going to send, there will be reservoirs, there will be empty spaces to be able to hold it. Oftentimes, your ability to, to receive the blessing of God in your life and to receive the promise of God in your life has to do with your ability to prepare for the promise. 
You have to have some space. You have to dig something up. You have to have a, a cavity, if you will, in your life or in your schedule or in your finance. You have to have some space in your life in order to receive what God is about to pour out. And so God says, I want you to get ready. I want you to prepare. I want you to, to, to act as if the promise is already on its way. And I want you to start digging. Now, it seems strange because if you, if you need water, then you don't have much energy left. And if we're going to climb that hill and take Moab, then we really need to reserve our strength. But what, but what God says is, no, no, no. I don't want you to save strength for climbing the mountain. I want you to use the strength that you would have used to climb to this whatever this next level is. And I actually want you to start preparing your valley for water. Why is water going to come into a valley? We have no idea how it's going to come into the valley, but we need to prepare. And that's what faith is. Faith, scripture says, is the substance, it's the tangible evidence, the substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things unseen. The faith, I don't know if anybody's in this season, but, but, but oftentimes we get into a season where we need the kind of faith that doesn't require sight, that doesn't require proof in order to prepare for a promise. A faith that can take God, like God can write a check. I don't need cash. Just write me a check and I'll take it to the bank because I'm going to start digging as if. There were clouds in the sky as if the wind was picking up, as if I could smell the rain. Why don't you prepare as if God is going to do what he's told you he's going to do? Why don't you start living right now, preparing the place right now for what God has promised to send into your life? Oftentimes we wait for evidence of his promise. And that's why we miss it. That's why we don't ever receive the promise of God because God knows if he poured out his promise, you have nothing to receive it with. You have no reservoirs. You have not dug anything. You have stood there and cried and whined and told God how thirsty you were, but you haven't picked up a shovel and you haven't prepared your heart or your life or your family or your city or your church or your community or your small group for the presence of God. You, 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 you've whined about, about how dry and how thirsty you were and how things are going uh, to hell in a handbasket and how our politics are all messed up. And, how they, and you've done a lot of complaining, but we haven't done much digging. <laughs> so I just want to challenge some of you. I want to challenge some of you. This is your season to dig. This is not your season to complain. This is not your season to, to you know, you know, lick your thumb and, and just see which way the wind is blowing. Why don't you get ahead of the wind? Why don't you get ahead of the wave? The wave is coming. The wind is coming. The water is coming. Times of refreshing are coming from the presence of the Lord. Why don't you posture your family and posture your mind in such a way that you're ready to receive when God pours it out? You got to start digging. You got to start digging. Real faith starts digging. Real faith doesn't wait for proof. Real faith will work off of promise. Real faith will start digging before there's any cloud in the sky, before there's any, it's not even sprinkling out, and you're digging a ditch. Why are you digging a ditch? Because rain's coming, because water's coming. Oh, yeah, I don't really see much coming. No, no, it's coming. I have to get ready for what God is about to do in my church, what God is about. I got to create space. I, we cannot keep the same valley. We cannot maintain the same valley. God brings us, brings us to this valley in order to meet our need. Because the truth is we need water. And water is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I was reading statistics on the church in America, um, especially, specifically denominational churches in America, in the, in the average age range for those denominations and the average rate of decline in the past 30 years for those denominations. And basically, within about 20 or 30 years, most of those denominations will not exist 
in the United States because most of those people will be dead. And they have not reproduced. They have not birthed new life. They have not reached out to the poor and to the helpless and to those who cannot give anything to them. They have not rebirthed or brought about any redemption. I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but the amount of, uh, the, the rate of loss is much greater than the rate of gain. They're thirsty. And they're not missing programs and they're not missing buildings. They got tons of buildings. Got big, fat budgets. They got deep pockets. And yes, a church can die with really deep pockets. An army can die with the best, sharpest swords in the world. An army can never make it up the hill. They got the best armor. They got, they got air Nike sandals. They got, they got, you know, like pumps, pump sandals. I mean, they're like, they got, they got laser guided uh, spears. I mean, they're like, they're all about it. I don't care how good your weapons are. If you don't have water, you're dead. I don't care how good your systems are, how nice your music sounds, or how well your programs are run, or how, or how, what kind of great leadership you have, and what kind of alliances you can build with this person and that person, how many albums you can cut, and how many, how, how much you can do. If, if, if the water of the Holy Spirit is necessary, we, if God is not the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is not an option for the church. It's not an option for the Christian. It is essential that you are filled with the indwelling presence of God. You cannot. Do the Christian life without water. You cannot do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It is not just a religious rule book that you pick up and you figure out how to talk like a Christian and walk like a Christian and listen to Christian uh, K-Love music in your car. That's, I mean, that's fine. That's good. But that is not the power of the Christian life. If you want, if you want victory, you've got to think about vitality. You cannot simply focus on, 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 on visualizing the victory. You have to think about your health. And the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the greatest signal of health to the Christian. He is the water that sustains us. He is the water that, that fuels us. He is the, the water that, that encourages us. He, you, cannot, you cannot just simply rely on structure and systems and dogma and doctrine. And I mean, even if I was the greatest preacher of all time, simple human wisdom is not going to get you through the week. You need the Holy Spirit. Because at some point, Logic is not what you need. At some point, motivation is not what you need. You got way more motivation than hardly anybody else. I mean, like, like you, you're over-motivated. It's, it, you, you have so many Christian books. You have so many options, so many YouTube preachers, so many amazing resources, and yet we're still dying with our deep pockets and our big buildings and all of our resources because we are lacking the most elemental thing. We've taken care of all the big visionary stuff. We've drawn out big plans and we've encouraged and motivated people to join and to come sit and to come work and to come do all these things. And, and, even, and even on mission, we're even going to be uh, uh, charitable. We're even going to reach out to these people. We're going to bless these people. We're going to do all these things. But without the presence of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how sharp your armor, how sharp your sword is, how great your shields are, how nice your armor is, you're dead in the valley. There's really two guys. There's two guys in this story. There's, there's two guys. Uh, there's the king of Israel who, when he realizes, has no water. 
he, he throws up his hands and he says, well, I guess we're toast. And then there's the King Jehoshaphat, who when he realizes he has no water, he says, let's stop. And I think that teaches us something about this kind of faith that I'm talking about, the kind of faith that's willing to dig even without any proof, that's willing to, to, to prepare on a promise, that's willing to work on a promise, that's willing to prepare a space for God to do what he said he's going to do. That kind of faith is willing also to stop. The kind of faith that, that you need to make it through this season is the kind of faith that's able to put the brakes on vision. Because, I, I mean, I love the king of Israel. I love his vision. I love his tenacity. I love the fact that he knows where he's going and he knows how to get there and he's got a plan. And that's great. But every once in a while, vision and being a visionary and visualizing victory can make you forget about vitality. But Jehoshaphat is the other way. Jehoshaphat says, okay, so if we don't have water, we're not going to climb that hill. <laughs> we're not going to... We're just not going to do it. We're going to stay here in this valley until we hear from God. Because just because God told you to go doesn't mean that God's not currently speaking a new and fresh word for you in the middle of the valley. God hasn't brought you here to kill you. God hasn't forgotten his promises. God, God that, that, that's not God. God wouldn't do that. So, so we need to hear from God. I don't need to hear from the, from, from, from the guy who forgot the water. We don't need to hear from the troops about how they're, they're tired and weary and all that kind of stuff. We need to hear from God. And so Jehoshaphat says, let's go hear from God. Jehoshaphat is looking, is looking to hear from God because he realizes that you, you, you have to stop. When, when, whenever you're more concerned with warfare than you are water, you have to stop. Whenever, like, you, you cannot just go forward on, 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 on your weapons and on your, and on your abilities. You have to be healthy on the inside. You cannot, you can't run this thing on empty. You can't run thirsty. You can't fight thirsty. And so Jehoshaphat stops. And I would encourage you to stop until, until you know what it is to have the indwelling spirit of God in you. I would encourage you to, to, to hold off on your vision. I would encourage you to hit pause on your vision. I, I would encourage you to stop, to stop dreaming about the mountain and just start valuing the valley. Jehoshaphat valued the valley that he was in. Now, uh, Je Jehoram, he's just trying to get out. The valley to him is, is a pathway up the mountain. And so he's in the valley for the moment, but he's on his way somewhere else. And I think many of us live this way as well. We have this, ver this version of where we've come from, right? So this is our past. And then we have this version of where we are, and this is our present. And then we have this version of where we're going, and this is awesome. Like, this is okay or not. This is usually not. So it's like we're going from not to okay, and then someday we're going to be at awesome. And we do this for all sorts of things. We do that. Pastors do this for their, for their churches, you know. It's like, a, we were there, now we're here, but oh, wait till you see where we're going. All right, and people do this with, uh, in, even, even in dating, right? Uh, so they meet somebody, and they, they, they hear about their past, and they kind of get to know them in their present, but really she's interested, so where are you going? And so he's telling her about all the amazing things that he's going. This is where he's going. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing all this stuff. It's going to be, wow, so much potential. I mean, potential through the roof. And so then, and so, and so then, you know, so then the pastoral counseling. So, so who are you dating? Oh, okay. So how's it going? Yeah, he's going to be, he's got so much potential. That's great. 
great. That's wonderful. Um, he has no idea what he is going to be. None of us really know what we're going to be. We know what we want to be. We see the top of the hill, and we, some, some of us have been chasing it all of our lives, but we don't know what it's like to be on the top of the hill because we're in the valley. And so none of us, I mean, potential's good, and, but you probably shouldn't marry based off potential. You might want to check out some patterns, right, to figure out if that potential really makes sense. But anyway, I, I, because the future is, is, is vastly unknown, but to us, it's always this dreamy, amazing place where everything's going to get better, and everything's going to be fine, and everything's going to work out, and we're going to be in this particular place. And what, what, what can happen, we can become like the king of Israel, so even when we're in the valley dying of thirst, we're still thinking about the mountain. We're almost, it's almost like lusting after the mountain. You know why lust is so damaging to marriages, right? Because, because, because when you lust outside, I mean, lust within marriages is great, but when you lust, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, when, but lust outside of marriage is damaging because really what you're doing is you're going into a restaurant and you're looking at a menu that's not even available at the restaurant. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes like we'll be in a not so great restaurant and we'll start talking about a great restaurant that we were at one time, you know, man, their steak was good. Yeah, boy, boy, I can't wait till we go to New Orleans again. I'll tell you what, man. All right. So I'll have a McChicken with, uh, hmm. <laughs> sorry, uh, yeah, but but that's, that's basically what it is. And so you, you're, you're memorizing the menu, and you're at the wrong restaurant. They, they don't even serve that. And so it creates, it creates inside of the person who is lusting. Men usually do it on a physical level, and women usually do it on an emotional level. But it creates, it creates within the person who is lusting, it creates this, this tension of, of I really, I'm, I'm really hungry for that, but it's not on the menu. But the great tragedy is that while you are memorizing this menu that you have no access to, you're neglecting the menu that you got. That's, and so you die of hunger. <laughs> because, because, you, because you're not, because you have a menu. You're at a restaurant. But you're, you, you become critical of the menu you have you become critical, and this is, this is, I'm not just talking about a physical now, I'm talking about spiritually. We can, we can get so, we can fall in love with the product of where we're going that we become impatient and critical of the process that we're currently married to. You, you, have, to, you, you have to date the future and marry the present, okay? You can, you can go out with the future every now and then, but you need to go home with the present because this is who you are. This is where you are. This is your life. This, that is not your life. This is you. All you are is what you can do right here and right now. And I guarantee, I guarantee you'll never get there by neglecting here. I'm pretty certain you'll, you'll never get that product without taking care of this process. But that's what we do. And that's what the king of, of Israel, he's lusting after the mountain and he's impatient and critical of the valley. I wish you'd hurry up. I wish we'd just, just get some water and get up there. I mean, because... Because I'm, I'm on a schedule. I'm on, I mean, we got we, we to catch these guys by surprise. 
Jehoshaphat says, hold up, hold up a second. Because faith, real faith, is willing to stop. Real faith is willing to put the brakes on vision in order to check the vital signs of life. Because real faith is concerned. Not just about climbing that mountain, but making sure that you don't kill off all the people who are supposed to be climbing with you. Because what good's it going to do? You get to the top of the mountain and you look around and nobody's going with you. God's got an army with you. He's prepared you. He's made you ready. But you might want to check the water levels. You might want to check the resources. Faith knows when to stop. Jehoshaphat was able to do that. Jehoshaphat was able to say, let's just let's hang out here. This process, this thing that I'm in the middle of, there's a purpose for it. There's, a, there's, there's, there's something here. And instead, the king of Israel is cursing. He's complaining about it. And the Lord really spoke to me about this personally. I was sharing with somebody just last week, and I had to take notes on myself because um, it was so good. Uh, the Lord really dealt with me about this because, as many of you know, I do not like living on land. Um, I, mean, I, like, I mean, as opposed to water, I'm down with it, but I don't need, like, a lot of land. You know what I mean? Like, I need land for a house, and that's it. That's all you need land for. And, you know, to drive back and forth from the house to the rest of the world. I'm all about that. But, 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 but my wife, see, I'm, I'm a city slugger. And uh, my wife is, <laughs> did you just call me a city slugger? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> my wife is a country girl from New Zealand. And so for the first seven years of our marriage or so, we um, flipped homes. And so we'd buy foreclosed homes. They were in like little cookie cutter neighborhoods. And they were, they were like ugly. And so we'd buy them and then we'd make them not ugly. And then, and then my parents would come down and my brother would come down and his wife. And we'd, we'd fix it all up and we'd sell it, right? And then we, for, after a couple of years and we'd make some money. This is how I paid off my school debt. This is how we paid off our vehicles. This is how we started rolling money into the next house. And after about seven years of doing that, Rose said, I really want some land because I uh, really want some horses. And, and uh, so we found, I said, well, if you can find one that we can flip, then I'll, I'll go for it. So we found a foreclosure, five acres in San Marcos. And that's when, that's when it all started going downhill. Because <laughs> then five acres wasn't enough. And so now we're in 14 acres in Buda because um, we moved to come up closer to the church. And um, I, I hate living on land. And I, and I know that's a strong word. But that's exactly how I feel. I feel strongly in a negative way toward living on land. It's awful. It's the worst thing. I don't know why anybody would do it. Uh, number one, you have to take care of all the land. Number two, when you have that much land, something's going to go wrong all the time. Number three, I can't, like, like, like get, I, I can't like get dressed, get in my truck, and go anywhere without stepping in horse manure. Number four, I have several gates that I have to open, right? And so, so I pull up to the gate because we got horses, and they're too dumb to not know where they're supposed to go. So you've got to gate them off. And so you, know, so you pull up to the first gate, and you, you get out of the truck, you open the gate, you drive forward, get out of the truck, close the gate, drive forward, get out of the truck, open the gate, drive forward, close, get out of the truck, close the gate, drive forward. And I'm always the guy who's forgetting my wallet or like my phone, something really important. I don't remember till the end of the driveway. And then I'm like, oh man. And I have to, because it's like eight minutes for me to go back down and all the way, I've timed it. When we moved there, Rose said, babe, it's only five minutes from Starbucks. And that is true from the end of the driveway. That's true. That's true. But, but, but it's, it's an obstacle course to get out of there. And 
So, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on about the, uh, it's, it's, it's off. Like one, that's not even to mention the fact that our house, the shack we used to live in was too close to the pond and it would flood. And then we had bees living in the wall, honeybees. And then we had uh, maggots falling out of the ceiling. And then we, I killed two rats in our kitchen. Like it was, it was bad. And one morning, uh, it's about a year ago, one morning, Ro and I were woken up at about 4 a.m. by this loud sound of rain, which, you know, oh, we're going to flood. So we jump up and we go outside and we weren't going to flood. It was just the horse had stepped on like a spigot thingy because the horse somehow got through our fence that wasn't supposed to and uh, came through and stepped on a spigot and it was spraying at the house, like just, uh, just water, just paint, the money going right out the spigot <laughs> at our house. And I'm like, oh, man. So then Ro and I, we have to go up, turn, like the water, the turnoff valve is all the way by the road. So we, you know, we make the three-year journey uh, to turn off the water. And uh, it's, it's just rough, right? And the next, literally, seriously, five hours, was it five hours that I was going to Home Depot, coming back, going to Home Depot, coming back. So I'm a preacher. I'm not a plumber. I don't know nothing about that. I play Super Mario. That's as close as I get. And, and so, you know, I went like three or four times constantly telling the guy, this is what I need. Oh, okay. And so finally I get it. And the whole time I'm just ticked. I'm just fuming. I'm like, man, I should be pastoring. I should be visiting people. I should be, you know, working on small group stuff. I should be working on a sermon. I should be, you know, all this kind of, like this stuff is just building up inside of me. And this was not a rare occurrence. And that's where God finally spoke to me and said, do you, do you want to move? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but first I want like some gasoline and a match. So yes, absolutely. And he's like, no, seriously, seriously, seriously. Do you really, do you, do you really want to move? And so, so I said, well, let me think about it. So I said, you do the pros and cons, right? And so the cons are, it sucks. That's that side. My shoes are getting all muddy and wet and, and I, I got nice shoes. Anyway, so, you know, it's, it's all it's just... Maybe that's not a good word in, in a Christian way. Sucks. And uh, then on this side, there's the pros, right? And so the pro is that my wife loves it. And I love that my wife loves it. Uh, ever since she was a little girl, she wanted to live on land. And, I, and I'm thrilled that, I get, that she gets to do that, you know, before she dies, before she passes. Um, <laughs> no, no, not promise tomorrow. <laughs> We're getting older, honey. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just, you know. Got a wiser. And so, you know, she loves it. Uh, check. You know, and, and my kids love it. And they really do. And I love that my kids love it. I love that when I come home, my kids aren't home, in the house like in front of a computer screen. I, I, I love that. They're, they're out and in, in, in the, they're, they're fishing. Micah's always catching fish. And uh, uh, Madden's like riding a scooter. Like they're, they're outside. They're learning stuff. They're outside. I actually like that. Personally, I would like to live in a two-bedroom apartment off of South Congress. But if we live there, I'd never let my kids out of my sight. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't want them to get kidnapped. So, uh, but, so I, I, like, I, like, I like that my kids like it. I like that they're relatively safe. Aside from the venomous snakes. And, you know, but, you know, for the most part, they're relatively. I mean, you know, and, and I like that. I also like that, that when we got the house, that it was, uh, we had agricultural exemption, so the, the mortgage payment was uh, a lot less than what we were paying before. And actually, we pay less on this house than we, we can't get. We can't get a one-bedroom apartment like in anywhere within 200-mile radius of this place for what we're paying there. And then on top of that, like, people board their horses with us, so they actually pay us. So we make more than our mortgage. So we actually live there for free. We get paid to live there. And, and so, you know, those are some of the pros. And I'm like, well, 
yeah, no, I don't think I would like to move. <laughs> I, think, I think this is a pretty good deal. So God said, okay, so basically you've been complaining about your blessing. Because <laughs> this is what God does. He wraps, he wraps, he, he, so oftentimes, it's like those little geodes. I don't, I don't know if Ron is here today, but Ron gave us a little, little geode, which is an ugly rock. Um, and uh, my kids are like, and I'm like, well, no, you have to use a hammer. And so you get a hammer, you bust the thing. And it's beautiful. But that's, that's often God's blessings. It's like this ugly rock. It's like this burden. He wraps the blessings in, in a burden. He wraps, he, he puts you in a valley. But his intention is to fill the valley with water. Cause he, 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 and, and we end up cursing the valley. And we complain about the valley. The very thing God put there to bless us, the very thing God put there to refresh us, the very thing God put there to give us exactly what we need, and we complain about the inconvenience of it. Because, man, the mountain would be a lot better, I'll tell you what. If we were there, boy, it'd be awesome. I mean, we'd be dying of thirst, but it'd be awesome. We wouldn't have anything to drink, but, boy, we'd be on the mountain. But, look, this is, this is, this is, this is what the king of Israel didn't know and couldn't have known. If we read on in the story, go on, uh, down, go on down to the next verse. God says, and this is a simple matter, by the way, FYI. I'll get into that next week. He says, uh, God will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And so it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came from the way of Edom. I'll get into that next week. The land was filled. The valley was filled with water. Go on. Go on down to verse 21. And when all the Moabites, now this has given us an insight into the other side of the battle. When all the Moabites had heard that the king had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. So this is what the king of Israel didn't know. They were tipped off. This was not going to be a surprise attack. They're waiting at the top of the mountain. And they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side, and it looked red to them. So they said, this is blood, man. Uh, King Joseph lost the poker game last night, and they decided to get in a fight. They've killed each other. And so, they, and so the Moabites said to each other, Moab, uh, to the spoil. In other words, you don't need your guns. You don't need your weapons. Let's go just collect the spoil. And when they came down into the valley, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. So that they fled before them, and they entered the land, killing the Moabites. But this is, this, is, this is the thing. We're so short-sighted when we, when, we, when we lust after the mountain. We don't know the enemy is camping out right there at the peak. King of Israel thought he was leading them into a surprise attack. He was leading them into a bloodbath. They were about to get wiped out because after they use up all of the energy climbing that mountain, they're going to get cut down by the Moabites who were waiting for them. And so Jehoshaphat said, well... Let's go, let's go talk to the prophet. They talked to the prophet, which brings me to, to my second point, my last point. The, the kind of faith that knows how to wait, the kind of faith that knows how to stop, is the kind of faith that also knows how to sing. And so King, uh, the King Jehoshaphat goes to Elisha and says, all right, what's the word of the Lord? And Elisha is frustrated. <laughs> and Elisha says, hold up a second. I just need to get into some worship, okay? Let's get some worship going. And that's a good, some good advice for you. Some of us just need to change the soundtrack of our life. And it'll change the atmosphere of your mind 
and it'll it'll get you thinking in the right direction because that's what worship does. And so and so and so and so a musician comes and plays plays a song that they would have known. And and just this week I was reading Psalm 18. I posted a little bit on Facebook because I think maybe maybe just maybe that would have been the song that the musician would have played. And it starts off Psalm 18 verse one says, "I, I will love you, Lord." That's a that that that's a statement of faith right there because when you're in the middle of the valley you don't always feel love for God but you're choosing to love God you're choosing to prioritize God he starts playing and he says I will love you Lord because you are my strength I will love you Lord because you are my strength I know we don't have water right now and our men feel weak but I will love you Lord because you are my strength you are my source of strength I don't have water I feel weak but in you I am strong you are my strength my my bank account is not my strength my friendships are not not my strength. My church is not my strength. In you is my strength. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. I have a portable fortress in the valley. It's going along with me. I know I feel exposed and vulnerable in the valley to, to my enemy up there on the hill, but the Lord is my fortress and my deliverer. God is my strength in whom I will trust. He is my shield and the horn or the authority of my salvation. He is my stronghold. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. <laughs> there's something of worth in this valley and it's not me and it's not my purpose and it's not my, my, my grand plan to climb that hill. The thing of worth right here and right now is the presence of God. And so I will call on him because he's worthy to be praised. And if you skip down, skip down, I think it's to verse 16 or 17. It says that he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me for they were too strong for me. They prevented me do you ever feel like i'm sure the king of israel probably shouted a little amen right there these idiots forgot water and they prevented me because he still doesn't know the enemy is up there all the thing that's preventing him is lack of water lack of resources they prevented me amen they prevented me in the day of my calamity but the lord was my stay he brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord was my stay. This is kind of interesting. He, uh, he's talking about the enemy. The enemy prevented me. My lack of water, my lack of resources prevented me, stopped me. But, and we would almost expect him to say, but on the other hand, the Lord moved that enemy out of the way. But the Lord rose up and punched his enemy face and took him out. The Lord, the Lord removed him. The, the enemy prevented me, but the Lord was my stay. I, I don't know. I, I, have this, I have this mental image, and I'm wondering if someone could help me out. Uh, 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 David would be really good. David, David can, can you come up and just be my enemy for just a second? You can just be the bad guy, because you're kind of big and, you know, kind of tall and uh, pretty formidable. He's a, he's, he's a pretty, pretty good... Don't, don't mess up the hair, though. Mess up the hair. <laughs> Pull your man bun out. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, you're, you're a spry young guy. You can just, you can, you can come on up here and you, you'll represent us. He's kind of tall. He's kind of tall himself. He's, 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 he's us. He's hopeful. He's strong. He's, 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 he's up for anything. He's scrappy. Daniel's scrappy. I don't know if you know that, but he's up for anything. He'll just play drums, just anything. It's crazy. And uh, he's, he's scrappy. That's, that's City Chapel right here. So scrappy, scrappy Daniel. And, uh, and, but, but he's up against an enemy. And I, I don't know, Daniel, if you, if you remember, but when you were little, do you remember, did an adult ever like put his hand like on your forehead and just like stop you from being able? 
this is kind of frustrating. So, so, so David, David and Daniel, this is, this is interesting. So we have two Ds. So David, how would you just put your hand up there on his forehead and just block him? And uh, it's close. It's close. See? Ah, oh, see, he's scrappy. He's, he's flexible neck. That's what you, you start doing the chop kick and swim move. <laughs> but this is almost, this is almost like a picture. I don't know, I just had this in my mind. Because I think this is like life, right? Because like, like you're moving along forward and then an enemy comes along and prevents you like another enemy. Like there was the enemy you were planning on fighting. Then there's the one that comes up and it's like, oh, what in the world? Like kids are starting to do good and then what in the world? Marriage is starting to do good and then what? Okay, maybe it's just me. But you, 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 you move onto land and then what? He started church and what? Uh, but you know, you, there's always the enemy you planned on fighting. And then there's the enemy that just springs up and prevents you from getting to the enemy that you planned on fighting. And that's thirst. That's the, that's the water for, king, for the king of Israel. I mean, he's going for it. He's, he's, he's all about it. But there's this enemy that prevents him. And so the real question is, worship, like, like what, 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 what we tend to do is we tend to focus then on the enemy. And we get bitter at the enemy. And if it wasn't for that enemy, man, we would have had the Moabites. Man, if it wasn't for that stupid water boy, we would have had the Moabites. I mean, we had them. We had them. I mean, you know, if you're Seattle, why are you passing on second down and, and goal from the three? We had them. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it wasn't for, like, like you can always, like, if they, what, there's, there's that thing. And so you focus. Your focus becomes that thing. But I, what I love about worship, what I love about David's worship is he said, yeah, the enemy prevented me in the day of my calamity. I was on my way to a battle, and I got held up. But I'm not really focused on what the enemy was doing because I'm focused on what God was doing. The Lord was my stay. Now, the word stay is still not progress. <laughs> this is where I wonder if we could zoom out a little bit. What is God doing in your situation? The enemy is preventing you, holding you in that valley. But I wonder if we could turn around and see <laughs> that at the same time that the enemy is preventing you, that God is holding you back. Like, the God is your stay. I wonder if what the enemy thinks is prevention, God sees as protection. Sometimes God is protecting. The safest place he could be was in that valley. The safest place he could be was in. God was going to use the valley to deliver them. If they, if they get out of the valley, they're dead. God is holding him back. The enemy's preventing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But God is his stay. God is making sure he sticks. God is making sure he doesn't go anywhere. God is not. God is using the enemy to keep you and position you and protect you and prepare you for what he has for you. Thank you, sir. All right. This is why worship is so important because worship lifts our, it elevates our perspective from what is preventing us to see what, who is protecting us. Because you're not ready for the top of that mountain. If you're thirsty, you're not ready. If you don't have the basic necessities of peace, joy, love, fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not ready for that mountain. Don't climb it. I think God wants to speak to some of us today. Caught in the lust of the... So if you'd like to receive the free gift of salvation, the gift of salvation, 
whereby Jesus takes our sins and nails them to the cross, and you have a clean slate. Would you just raise your hand and say, I want to pray a prayer with you today. I want to accept that. I want to receive that and step into that. That's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. Cool, you can put your hands down. Now, let's, let's just pray with me. Say, say, let's, let's all just say this together. Say, dear God, I need you. Forgive me for going my own way. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and for your love that started the whole thing. I now receive the blood of Jesus into my life. Come live inside of me. Change my thoughts. Change my heart. Help me to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah.